Now we have a handful of people, just just a handful of people out in what do you call it? I used to call it, you used to call it Radio Land, but now it's in WWW Land, and they watch us, uh, and they must think we're just nuts sometimes. Amen. But thank the Lord we're screwed on the right bolt. <laughs> How about Second Timothy chapter three? Second Timothy chapter three, making our way through. Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three. We left off last Sunday on verse twelve. Very simple verse, but uh, man, there sure is a whole lot in it. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Before we uh, get started, Brother Brian, would you uh, ask the Lord's blessing on the teaching this morning? Amen. <clears throat> Now, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, uh, well, you know what, let's do this. Let's get back into the context. Let's read verse 8 uh, and, and up, and then we'll... The Bible says, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Of course, that's talking about people inside the church, people that are Christians. This isn't talking about the people down at Walmart that are lost, amen. This is not talking about uh, people down at the local, uh, what do you call it, the, the, the jackass joint there uh, in town. This is talking about people in the body of Christ. Is that what it's called? What's it called? Is it Jack's? I thought it was jackass. And what's that? Oh, okay. Well, hey, the shoe fits where, right? The Bible says a man is uh, like a wild ass's colt. Amen? It's a picture of a lost man. <laughs> I suppose you could be a Christian and go there and, you know, have yourself a few brews, but, man, why would you want to do it? The uh, Bible says in verse 10, But thou hast, thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now here's our verse. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now let me say uh, I am not, I'm not the authority on suffering persecution, but I have had a few. Amen. But I'm going to say this. If you're going to live for God, that Bible's true, and you're going to suffer persecution. You're not going to get around it. You'll see a little bit this morning. Uh, some Christians' lives seem to be so difficult, um, but there's another gear to that thing. There's a whole another uh, aspect to it. Um, remember in the Bible where the Lord says, uh, no man can serve two masters? And that is the truth, uh, because when you try to serve two masters, uh, it just gets real, it gets real sticky from there. And you not only get trouble from one, you get trouble from the other. And so in the Christian life, uh, I'm probably uh, blowing off more steam than I should right now. I want, I, want, I want the hits to come from the enemy. Not the people that I love. Not the people that I'm at peace with. You know what? If you and I are Christians, uh, we're justified uh, 
by faith, amen, and we have peace with God. And if we have peace with God, we're also accepted in the beloved, amen. And not only that, we should have fellowship one with another if we're walking in the light. And, uh, but some people have such a difficult time in life, and they're always getting clobbered, and they're always getting run over, it seemed like, by the train. But uh, back to our text, if you live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. And it may be the brethren. It may be the lost. Heck, it might even be family and friends, right? It's just the way it is. Might be your, might be your neighbors. I've seen some Christians just have some terrible trouble with neighbors. With neighbors. And... Uh, but uh, there's going to be some persecution involved. But you got to remember this. Uh, if you're going to be a workman, amen, that's uh, 2 Timothy 2.15. We already went over that. If you're going to study that book, you're going to be a workman. That's living godly, isn't it? That's the right thing to do is study the book. And uh, if you're going to be a workman, and if you're going to be a husbandman that laboreth, that's 2 Timothy 2.6. We already went over that. You're going to be a workman. You're going to be a husband. And if you're going to be a soldier, that's 2 Timothy 2.4, a good soldier for Jesus Christ. That's all a part of living godly, studying that book, being the husbandman that laboreth for the fruit, and then being a good soldier. That's living godly. That's living how you and I should live. Amen? But if you're going to do that, then God uh, has a way of helping us build up treasures in heaven. You say, what did you just say? I said, the Lord has a way of helping us build up treasure in heaven. Now, you and I don't live in the day, and I'm thankful for it, where we're going and we're getting burned at the stake. But, you know, we do live in a day where the Lord knows that we need some help to get rewards, so He allows that persecution to come our way. And I don't like it one bit, and you don't like it one bit, but it's what you and I need. Amen? It's what you and I need. And the way the Lord helps us with uh, building up treasures is through the trials, is through the troubles, is through the persecution, it's, it's through the heartaches. I mean, uh, some of you, your heart has just been ripped out of your chest, and you went through it, didn't you? And you picked yourself back up with the Lord's help, and you said, uh, what did I do? As a matter of fact, what you did, uh, no doubt, is you, you uh, uh, how do you call it, psychoanalyzed everything and kept blaming yourself for it. It wasn't your fault. It's just trials and tribulations and persecutions. And you go through it with God's help, and it's, it's bereavements, losing people you love, and scratch your head going, why? And then it's heartaches, and it's hard times, and doing everything you can, and it still don't work. <laughs> and just about the time you got the thing figured out, it falls apart again for the umpty time. You're going, what in the world am I doing wrong? And, of course, everyone's got a million opinions they can give you, but they all stink. But the fact is sometimes the Lord just allows us to go through those things to help us get rewards. And if you live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. Some Christians I know, man, they live just such a smooth life. And I'm like, are you even saved? <laughs> are you a brother of the devil or what? It's like they never even break a fingernail for, for Jesus. You know what I mean? And... Uh, but that stuff develops patience. And you have to remember this. If you don't remember anything else, remember this, that these trials and these persecutions are much more valuable than any kind of success you and I have in our life. 
It's much more valuable for me to go through trials and troubles and persecution than to have success in the ministry, as it, whatever, whatever that even means. Amen? It's more important, it's more valuable for you to go through trials and troubles, according to this verse here, uh, than for you to be uh, financially successful and socially successful, whatever that means. <laughs> I mean, it's much more that God be blessed and that the Lord be lifted up than anything good happened to us. And you got to trust God and make you stronger. Uh, not only that, uh, here's the thing. When you start going through trials and troubles and persecutions, what happens is the brethren around you will start looking at you. And they're, they're watching you going through it. And then you know what happens? Two things will happen. Some brethren will see you going through it, and they'll be like, I don't want to go through that, and they'll bail. They'll bail because they're watching you go through it. And then the other people, they'll watch you go through it and go, praise God, and they'll get stronger because of it. Now listen, when people leave, people leave and people, uh, they stop going to church and they stop living for the Lord and they start living for themselves, it ain't your fault. It ain't your fault. But people will leave and they'll start living for themselves when they watch you go through trouble. Why? They're scared. They're afraid. They don't want it to happen to them. And what they're doing is they're back there and they're counting the costs. They're flipping their beads going, man, look what they're going through. And Man, I don't want nothing to do with that. They blow right out the window. I've seen, I've seen it over the last 10 years. You say, you think you're living godly? Sometimes we try, amen? <laughs> don't you? And then it all falls apart. <laughs> like a ping pong ball machine, aren't they? But they'll leave and some people... The people that don't, the people stick with it, it makes you stronger. How about this? When you go through things, trials and troubles and persecution, it makes the church stronger. It's not just you. People see you come through that thing, whatever it is you're dealing with and struggling with, and they'll see you come through and you're still praising God. You're still faithful to church. And you still, uh, you know, you don't look like you're six feet under yet, amen. And the people, yeah, we've got a good God. Brought them through it. Brought him through it, brought her through it. What a blessing. And it makes you stronger, makes the church stronger. I wouldn't want to go to a church where there's no trouble anywhere. That'd be boring. Oh. Right? That's boring, man. That's what they do. No trouble at all. Everyone dressed in their Sunday best and everyone's looking fine and dandy and get up there and, you know, flip a few beads and say a few chants and also with you and all that stuff. And everybody goes home. They, they go home worse than they, they came, amen? But the thing about the local church is we see everybody at their worst. You ever stop and think about that? Some of y'all ask prayer requests. You wouldn't go to Walmart and tell people your prayer requests, but you tell your brothers and sisters in Christ because you want them to pray for you. I never understood people who didn't want people to pray for them. That's weird. I, I know there's some things you probably better, you know, amen, there's whatever. You know, what I'm, I'm not talking about the exception that proves a rule, but I never understood people who were such, so introverted and so quiet that they didn't even want you, to, you know, they'd be going to the doctor, get the head cut off, and they wouldn't even tell you, you know what I mean? And you go to visit them, and their head's in that room, and their body's in this room. Well, you know, I, I could have prayed for you. I don't understand that stuff. But that people are weird, man. But if you're going to live for the Lord, you're going to go through it. And you know what? Your church can absorb some of the hits for you for so long. Your parents can absorb some of the hits from you for so long. But eventually, with your walk with the Lord, you're going to have to start dealing with it yourself. Amen, amen.
And you got to remember that. And you got to trust the Lord. And it's not a trite saying. It's not just what we Baptists say. You have got to learn to take your hands off the wheel and say, okay, Lord, I trust you. I trust you if you run this thing right into the ground and you take me home to heaven, I trust you with what's remaining behind me. One of the best things you could do with your life is take your, everyone's got goals and everyone's got dreams and everyone's got aspirations. I don't care how old you are. There are things that you want to see, that you want to do and accomplish. The best thing you could do is take those hopes and dreams and wishes and just flush them to the Lord's will. Say, Lord, this, you know this is what I want to do, but you know what? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And doesn't the Bible say, if you put him first, he'll give thee the desires of thine heart? You say, well, I don't have that brand new car yet. Well, maybe he, uh, you're not close enough to him. Maybe he's going to change those desires. Amen. <laughs> <clears throat> but it's much more important to see God being blessed and being magnified by your persecution, by your trials and troubles, and you've got to remember that. We are here to put a smile on his face. We're here to lift him up. And that's one of the hardest things. You and I could be reminded of that thing every single day. And it still wouldn't be enough. And you got to remember that when you get into trouble. I don't know about you. When I get into trouble, I meet, I'm a fixer. I try to fix things. And when I can't fix things, I get frustrated. I do. I get, I feel like a punk. There's three F's right there. It's a, <laughs> amen. I try to fix it. I get frustrated and I feel like a failure. And I just get mad and ornery. Don't you? Some of y'all do. You can't, you can't control it. You can't fix it. You can't harness it. You can't corral it. You're like, well, it don't mean nothing anyways. Well, sure it does. But here it is. You've got to trust God. You've got to trust God, and you've got to remember that when you get into trouble. Back to verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Paul saying, hey, look, Tim, you know, what I, you, you know what I am. You know who I am. You know what I've gone through. You know what I believe. You know what I preach. You know where I've been. You know, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch. I mean, he's got them down. He has written them down. We know Paul's persecutions to a T at Iconium, at Lystra, and that whole thing, that, those two words, at Lystra, you and I, we could preach for a month on that. You know where Paul got Timothy? At Lystra. You know what happened to Paul at Lystra? They stoned him. But you know what he did? He went back. I don't know about you, but where people hurt me, I, I'm like, I, we're good, you know. I, I don't think we need to go back there, but not Paul. That sucker was crazy. He got stoned, not like Michigan and Colorado stone and amen, but the, the rocks and bashed his head, and he went up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and told about things that were unlawful to utter, and he comes, the Lord's like, you got, you got to go back. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, see you later, pal. And he sends him back. He turns around and walks right back into the city. I'm guessing he wanted to get stoned again so he could go back to heaven. If you got a glimpse of what was awaiting you, you wouldn't want to be here. You'd be like, excuse me, I'm going to step out in front of this garbage truck that's going 80. I won't feel it. They won't have a hard time scraping me up. We're good. At Lystra, but that's where he got Timothy. The whole purpose of the book of 1st and 2nd Timothy is to help a young man that Paul was able to 
uh, minister to after Timothy accepted the call, but if Paul wouldn't have went back, there'd be no Timothy. So sometimes the places you get hurt the most, you're able to produce fruit by going back to those places and submitting yourself to the Lord and trusting Him. Now it says, uh, what persecutions I endured, and he sure did endure a bunch of them, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Look at 12. Yea, and all that will live godly. So you can see there's a will involved, isn't there? All that will live godly. So when you live for God, you're not going to get along with the world. We're going to touch on that thing this morning. It's just amazing to me. I didn't plan it. We're going through Joshua, going through 2 Timothy 3, and these things line right up. Amen? It's like the Lord's up there pulling the handle on the old machine there, and 777, there it is. <laughs> but when you live for God, you're not going to get along with the world. You ever stop and think about this? What the world thinks is great, the Lord thinks stinks. You just stop and think what the world thinks is great. And the Lord's up in heaven going, nasty. Can't stand stinks. No doubt about it. So you got to choose. You got to choose. And you're going to have some problems in this world. And you got to choose whether you're going to serve the Lord and have some afflictions. Here it is. Here's the choice. Remember Joshua 24? Choose you this day who you will serve. And I'll tell you, my hands in the air, both hands, right? When we get persecuted and we have trouble coming our way, you know, the easy route is to shut the thing down and to be distant with the Lord. But that's not what he wants. He wants you to draw close to him. So you've got to choose whether you're going to serve the Lord and have some afflictions or just go ahead and serve the devil and have whatever you want to have in this world. And like I said, he gave Joshua a choice over there in Joshua 24. And he said, as for me and my house, he will serve the Lord. Isn't that interesting? He didn't have to ask Mrs. Joshua, did he? He just spoke for the whole family. Now, that's old-timey thinking, ain't it? You say, well, that's a chauvinist. Help yourself. He did it anyways. <laughs> he said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, we're uh, not trying to be a broken record here, but look at verse 12 again. Ye all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Look at verse 13. <coughs> But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now remember, this is in the church. Uh, this is in the body of Christ, and the operation is going on in the spirit world. And if you recall, that spirit world, that's controlled, uh, Ezekiel 14, by the devil. And how about this one? Daniel chapter, what is it? Daniel chapter 11, verse 38, talks about the God of forces. Don't be uh, confused in the book of Daniel by the capital G. That's not going to talk about Jehovah God, the God of forces. That's a devil. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, that's the Antichrist. But isn't that interesting? You've got a, uh, a, how, how many movies they got for Star Wars now? Six, seven, eight, hundred? I don't know. Kind of like Rocky, you know. Rocky 500. <laughs> but all these things, and they say, use the force, Right? Right? My Bible says the God of forces is the devil. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't that something? Ain't that wild? Nothing like a good old King James Bible to get Star Wars right on the right path. Amen? Amen. How many times your Bible says, and no marvel? Marvel not. Still looking for DC in there. I'm sure it's there somewhere. Amen. 
and say, well, you're just Antipas. You're against everything, pretty much. <laughs> Amen. I mean, if your hero, if you, if your hero in life runs around in a pair of spandex, you need to get your head checked. You know why they do that, right? Well, first of all, probably because they're perverts. Number two, it's so they can do all their dance moves and ballet moves and act like they're shooting the bad guys. You try to do that in, like, uh, you know, work pants, it ain't going to work too well. Amen. Like, we have a ripped pair of britches on all five here, but anyways. <clears throat> now, but you notice here in the passage, uh, it says uh, they're deceiving and being deceived. Now, you've got to remember, the Bible says to be not deceived, Christian. Do you realize it's your job, it's commandment from the Holy Spirit to be not deceived? And the Bible, if you've been, uh, on, uh, been able to make it to Sunday nights, we've been, man, we've been pushing it on the Holy Spirit. And I've been force-feeding you uh, probably too fast. But you realize the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. That's why it's a command to uh, be not deceived and let no man deceive himself. But you'll notice it says that they're deceiving and being deceived here in these last days. And it has to do with self-deception. That's huge in these last days. Self-deception has to do with believing a lie. And all through the scriptures, I really need to put uh, some of this stuff together. It would be a great study and probably a great a series, at least in my own mind it would be, amen. <laughs> it would be a great series on how when you don't receive the truth, you will believe a lie. And that's not just, in the, that's not just uh, when, the, uh, when the rapture takes place and the, Holy, uh, I mean, and the, the Antichrist comes about. But that's right now in your Christian life. If you refuse the truth, you'll believe a lie. And if you want to know why some of these Christians that uh, claim to love the Lord, and I'm sure they do, why they're all whacked out and jacked out and left field, it's because they wouldn't take the truth when they were given. And they'll say this, well, I don't like the way he gave it. Well, let me tell you what, did Balaam's donkey give the truth? Was he still a donkey giving it? Sometimes, as the old preacher says, you need to take the truth no matter what donkey's delivering it. And I'd rather get the truth just as rough as it could come and said, well, now take your Bibles, and we're going to look at how wonderful you are in Jesus today. I'd rather have the truth and it be rough. I would. But that's not what this age wants. But it has to do with self-deception and believe in lie. So again, we say this, if you reject the light, Amen? And this is, this is the light, the entrance of thy words given light. If you personally reject the light, it becomes lightning. Lightning. And men reject light because why? Because they want to live like the devil. When a person rejects the book and they say, well, I'm going to leave out of here. I'm going to go back to my old church. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go to a church that, you know, doesn't uh, preach like you preach. And they have programs so everyone can be happy. And uh, it's going to be a little bit nicer in presentation. You know what that is? They want to live like the devil. You say, why would you say that? Why would you not? Well, do you believe you're the only church in the, in the wilderness? No. But the reason really is, okay, so maybe they don't want to live like the devil, but how do you know that? They just want to live like they want to live. But what they want is they want something coming over the plate slow. I'm not a baseball player, but I want slow pitch. None of this 100-mile-an-hour stuff. You know what a Bible preacher will do? Stay with me now. I'll get fired up in, in a minute or so. A Bible preacher will send a fastball every now and then, just, and he, he'll just knock you slap out. 
And what Christians want today is they want something slow, something they can see and move out of the way and adjust to, and they want something they can handle, and, and they want a guaranteed home run. But you know what the Bible says? Right across the plate, 100 miles an hour. And then that thing comes, wait a minute. That ain't fair. I don't like how you threw it. But here's the thing. Can I say this? You need, I'm going to use this term facetiously, you need a religion that makes you uncomfortable. You really do. If every time you come to church, you just feel warm and fuzzy, and oh, I just, I just, oh, man, I oh, you know, <laughs> that ain't the place to be. Now, that might be at mama's and grandma's or on the dinner table and six courses into it, amen? I'll take your Bible, I'll show you this. This isn't nothing new. Isaiah chapter 30. And the problem in, in the Christian life is if you and I are not careful, we'll deceive ourselves. And next thing you know, you'll take an issue with truth because you want it your own way. Now, I'm not saying that everyone wants to do that, but let me tell you what. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know what that tells me? You don't even know the wickedness and depravity of your own heart. That's why you got to be cautious. Look at Isaiah 30, verse 9. The Bible said that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that not hear the law of the Lord. This is B.C., about 700 B.C. This is a long time ago. Verse 10, which say to the seers, those are the old-time preachers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us. Wait a minute. You see it? Smooth things. You know what you got on the major networks right now? Smooth things. I mean, it's slick. It's like butter and honey. You want to know why Joel Osteen can get up there and smile and keep that smile fixed and $10,000 haircut and, you know, $5,000 Armani suits and all that. Smooth, baby. You're smooth, they'll all come. They'll all come to hear you. You get up there and tell you, I'm telling you what, you know, I'm going to help you live your best life now. And when you leave today, you're going to be, you're going to be so full of Jesus, it'll be coming out your ears. You're like, oh, I don't want Jesus coming out my ears. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> And speak unto a smooth thing. That's all the way back. That's Israel. You know what Israel's problem was? Same thing that Laodicea has a problem with. They want it smooth. All right. And this, we said this, I think we said this a Wednesday or so. But if it's 30 degrees out or 20 degrees out and there's ice on the roads, uh, you're going to be careful when you get out on the roads, shouldn't you? <laughs> now, I know there's always one, you know, he-man that wants to go 90. But if it's sunny and everything's California comfortable, you get out there and just put the windows down, you'll fly. And some of the worst wrecks in the world come when it's nice out. You don't get cautious. You're not cautious. I don't know about you. When there's, even when it starts to rain, I slow it down. When it starts to snow, I slow it down. Unless I'm in a hurry. <laughs> Unless I'm living dangerously. And that's how most people want the religion. Would you agree with me at least on that this morning? Many people want their religion sunny and 70. The number, one, uh, the number one thing I've heard over the last 10 years is that I'm too rude and I'm too crude. Well, let me tell you what. I know me. I'm a pussycat in the pulpit compared to some folk. 
I mean, I'm telling you what, I've said this before, I've been in front of 30,000 ice cream customers, I know how to schmooze them. I know how to get up there, and I'm not a pushy salesman either. I just get up there, and I said, I'll tell you what, the best, I remember the best things I liked at that time was chicken Alfredo rigatoni. And I'll tell you what, here you go, you got 24 ounces of chicken Alfredo rigatoni. You take a, a saucepan and you put it up to medium heat and you put it in there and you put the lid on it and you walk away for 10 minutes, do your business and walk back, stir it twice and it is, ah! And they're like, I'll take two. Right? Don't sit there and tell me. Uh, you get a hold of truth and you get a hold of this book, it'll change you. <laughs> They would look at me, and uh, at first, when I would run those ice cream routes, they're like, uh, Jeremy, have you tried this? And finally, they looked at me and they said, yep, you tried it. <laughs> we know that, so we'll take a couple, amen. <laughs> now, I want you to see this, and you'll notice that we are in the last days in verse 1, right? You know that. Always remember that. And what happens in the last days in verse 13? Things get worse and worse. Now, isn't that ironic for your little numerology study? Number 13, verse number 13, last days, worse and worse. Christians, are we getting better? No, we're not getting better. But this world sure does think it, don't they? They think that all their progress and all their technological gizmos and gadgets and I'm telling you, we're streaming at 50K or whatever, or 4K or 400,000K or, you know, we can do this and that and the other. And we're just going to hell quicker than ever before. Let me say this. You know what's going on in the last days? People are being deceived in verse 13. It's getting worse and worse. And you have to remember this. If you want your thinking right, biblical thinking is this. Progress guarantees degeneration. You got to remember that progress guarantees degeneration. You want to you want to get away up to a, a cabin and uh, spend the next five years. You want to talk about really living. Get away from the Wi-Fi. Get away from the cell towers if you can. I don't think you can run away from them anymore. Get away from all the notifications. Get away from all the gadgets. What do you want us to be Amish? No, I'm just like vacation, right? Go unplug. Get away from it all. The more progress you have, the more degeneration goes on. And you got to hang on to that one. Take it to the bank, as the old man would say. The more progress, the quicker the damnation. The more men increase in knowledge, and the more the Bible is not preached, the quicker this nation sinks in depravity and to hell itself. you got to remember that. Progress is what everybody wants uh, to get together to accomplish. And that's what this community right here, that's what Iosco County wants. They want progress. Uh, they want a big ecumenical worldwide church movement. That's what they want. They bug me incessantly about it. They do. Uh, these idiots have harassed me at least a dozen times to try to join up with their devilment. It's called the Iosco Ministerial Association. Bunch of trash is what it is. It's run by one Ahab and about three fat Jezebels. Amen? It is. Say, so what do you do? Call them out on it. They write me letters, I flip them over, and I answer them back according to the book and say, stop bugging me. Why? You got nothing to do with us. We're building the wall. We're doing a great work. Leave us alone. That's the right thinking. The wrong thinking is, oh, let's get together. Let's, because if we get together, who's doing the preaching? They ain't going to ask me, are they? They ain't going to ask me nothing. They're going to be like, 
uh, they, they, sent, uh, they sent us a letter here, the church a letter, and invited me to go have mock, mocktails with them, they call it. How many of you heard of mocktails? What a bunch of satanic fooey mocktails. You kidding me? We're going we're, we're gonna to sit around with a bunch of collars on backwards and drink a bunch of Shirley Temples? Are you nuts? Bunch of idiots. Man. And Paul's telling... <laughs> Paul's telling, look, in the last day, these things are going to happen. That's what you need to see. It's going to get worse and worse. So say, preacher, should you be all surprised at it? No, it still bugs me. Because back in the recesses of your mind, you would like to think that we could actually have an impact on this community. Can I tell you what? Except for the grace of God and a couple of souls that the Lord might allow us to rescue and minister and feed, you're not going to impact this community except your fellowship with Jesus Christ. And Paul's telling him, look, in the last days, these things are going to have, look at verse 14. He says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. You see that? But continue. Despite everything going on, you got to keep going in what you've learned. You see that? Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, this is good. I th hopefully, we have the right amount of time to get through this. But what a great passage. So the end, uh, the end days are upon us, amen. And they're here in a sense. And Timothy knows that the things he learned from Paul was right. That's what he knows. And has been assured of, the Bible says. And he wasn't supposed to be changing what he's believing. Listen, some of you, you've been, you've been in this thing too long. Uh, you're over your head, as they would say. It'd be worthless for you to try to get out now. Amen. You just go on down the road with the KJV 1611, the bloodstained banner, and don't worry about what anybody else says. Now, instead of being deceived by evil men, by seducers, uh, you, you need to stick with it. You need to stick with it. And uh, Timothy's supposed to stick with it. And you and I are supposed to stick with it. Uh, that's why I say, stick by the stuff. One preacher said, if you stick and stay, it will surely pay. You know why Christians don't last long in local churches anymore? Because the world has taught us immediate reward, immediate gratification, uh, if I attend for a couple weeks, then uh, maybe you'll put my name in the bulletin. <laughs> or maybe you'll name a pew after me. If you want to name a pew after yourself, go for it. I'm just thankful we got pews. You ever see that? Well, some of them churches, they got names on the pews. Like this is Aunt Sally's pew and, you know, and Aunt, Uncle Tom, he was, you know, dying, spitting up and all that. Well, he named a pew after him. That's weird. You ever wonder why there's so many stars in the church halftime you can't even see Jesus Christ? <laughs> but instead of being deceived by evil men and seducers, and you got to remember, a seducer is someone who'll get you to do something even though you might not want to do it. When I went to, when I went to ice cream school, don't laugh at me, you know what they said my job was? They said, Evans, your job is to convince somebody to do something they wouldn't normally do. I'm like... I feel like the devil. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm supposed to convince somebody to do something they wouldn't normally do. And they said, but 98% of Americans have ice cream and frozen pizza in their freezer, so just get them to do it again. I said, I must be the devil. But that's a seducer. And a seducer is one who fools you. And uh, they beguile you. And they get you to think that uh, what they're doing is really right when it's wrong. Amen. Now, Paul, he doesn't think a whole lot about himself. Look at verse 14 again. Look what he says. 
I want you to notice this. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Talking about what? He's talking about the scriptures now. And it's been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. All right, let me ask you this. Where did Timothy learn those things from? He learned them from mom and grandma, didn't he? Go back to 2 Timothy 1. I know you know this, but he's Paul stepping out of the way. You know what the hardest job for a pastor and for a preacher and for a Christian to do many times is step out of the way. 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. You see that? See what he does? Paul steps out of the way. Number one, to show him that his grandma and his mother was right. Ain't that a blessing? And number two, he steps out of the way so to show Timothy he still had the same book that they had back then. That is a real blessing. Paul said the things you learned as a child, you learned from that book. And the things you learned from me, you learned from that book. And you know what Paul does? He steps, out of the, he steps away, he steps away, and he pushes the book above himself. And Christian, that's what you should do. Step out of the way and push up the book. Look at uh, Psalm 138. Psalm 138, verse 2. Now, if Paul can do it, and God the Father does it, then you should do it. And you should learn to push that book up every chance you get. Doesn't Paul say it was in Philippians, uh, holding fast the faithful word, or holding forth the word of life? You see that? All right, Psalm 138, verse 2. Bible says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Isn't that a tremendous verse? He said, I, I, I don't know if I understand it. There ain't, ain't much to understand. God the Father said he magnified his word above his name. And let me tell you what. His name is Jesus. And he put his book his word above his name. Now in fundamentalism, which we don't, you know, even a Catholic's a fundamental, but in fundamentalism they say that's idolatry. I call that believing the Bible. I call that believing exactly what that thing said. But uh, <clears throat> what happens is Paul says to Timothy, you keep, the, uh, you keep with the book, the same book that your grandma had, the same book that your mamma had, and the same book that I taught you with, believe the book. And as your pastor I'm saying, Stick with the book. I'm talking about that authorized version of King James that come out of 1611. And you get all the, the, the weirdos and the, you know, the smarty pants that say, well, if you had the 1611, then all the S's would look like F's. I'm like, oh, you don't want to know what I'm thinking right now. But I'm like, it's the same text that came out of 1611. We're not talking about a couple grammatical revisions that they made. They're not even a revision. It's a, it's a grammar change. And they're all documented. But that's a last-ditch effort by people who want to be the authority instead of let the book be the authority. You let that book be the authority in your life, and you'll go somewhere with Jesus Christ. And that's the problem with most preachers. They want you to look at them instead of looking at the book. My job is to lift up this book to be the conduit through which the Holy Spirit comes through and feeds the flock, ministers to the sheep, and get out of the way. And go to the barn, as they say. Amen? Why? Because a preacher's like an ox. <laughs> Amen? And you got to feed an ox. 
But that's the problem with most preachers. They want, to, they want you to look to them instead of looking at the book. A man that will make you look at him before he'll make you look at this book, he's not the right type of minister. A man that will put emphasis on programs. Stay with me now. Programs and uh, always got to be doing this and always be doing that. Instead of putting the emphasis upon Jesus Christ and your personal relationship with him, he's got to screw loose. You can take any building, any group, anything, any called out assembly, any church, and make about a dozen programs and generate excitement around programs. You can do it. And at the end of two or three or five years, you can get up and say, look what we've done. Or you can feed the flock of God, which the Bible says you're supposed to do, flock of God which is among you, and let it all pan out the way God wants it to pan out, and at the end of time, as a preacher, you can say, I fed the flock. I didn't have a bunch of programs, not against programs, but consider it. If we had a bunch of programs, who would be running the programs? Me. I got enough to do. Amen? Amen. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll read this verse and call it a morning. Bible says 2 Timothy 3.15 And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And these holy scriptures were given by inspiration of God. Notice that the scriptures are what is able to make you wise it says. And next time we uh, uh, get together around this passage here we'll give you some things that the scripture can do for you. All right. 